As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast for Friday, August 2nd. Derek Van Riper, Al Melchior here as we are each and every Friday breaking down all things waiver wire. Most weeks we are live at 4 o'clock Eastern on the Athletic Fantasy YouTube page. Next week, no live stream, but there will still be a podcast that comes out on Friday. So just a heads up if you are a regular live stream viewer who likes to have questions answered. On this episode, we dig into the interesting hitters and pitchers available Things are going to start to thin out here pretty soon as we get closer to the final month of the season, but this looks like a pretty decent week across the board on the wire. If you need, well, if you need just about anything, there's at least a solution or two potentially out there from a categorical and a positional perspective. But Al, just as we had on this show last week, we have a top prospect that people are going to be interested in thinking about picking up this weekend. And we knew the situation for Miguel Vargas wasn't necessarily going to be stable coming out of the weekend. Hopefully people listening were careful if they bid at all in mixed leagues because he, of course, was sent back down to AAA this week. But we get to do it again. Vaughn Grissom, the shortstop prospect in the Atlanta organization, making the leap from AA to the big leagues with even less time spent at AA than Michael Harris had when Harris was promoted earlier this season. And it looks like there's a decent window for Grissom to play quite a bit at least until Ozzy Albies eventually comes off the 60-day IL. It's probably worst-case scenario for Grissom, a three-week window. So that's that's helpful, right? That could help get you into uh, a head-to-head playoff or you know, give you uh, a steals bump that's that's going to help you in Roto League. So um, the question is, the one that you raised, that uh, is he going to be able to replicate what Michael Harris did with even less experience at the AA level, uh, Grissom starting at high A Rome this season. So... Uh, so far, so good in one game. <laughs> Obviously, an extremely small sample, but uh, an encouraging one nonetheless. But, um, you know, it's probably unfair DVR, but I think because you, you did have that uh, performance or you've had that performance for Michael Harris, that was so much better than I think a lot of us were expecting making the jump from double A that it does allow me to have a, a little bit uh, more, more faith in, in what Grissom can do. I just think the, the level of, of production from Grissom in all of his minor league stops, and again, this is mostly low minor leagues, it's been consistently good. There's power, there's speed, there's a really good approach. Vaughn Grissom has never struck out uh, above a 15% rate at any level. That's impressive regardless of where you're playing, and given his age to level context for all that, I think that adds more to it. And plus... There's multiple ways he can help you. He could be a source of power. He could be a source of speed. He homered and stole a base in his big league debut. That's a great way to start off your your big league career. Get the old combo meal, as our friends of the ESPN Fantasy Baseball show used to say. So I look at Vaughn Grissom, and I'm actually pretty interested in leagues, at least where I'm just looking for a little boost in speed. If he does offer immediate power, if he's not a drain in batting average, those things are all great. I'm just going in hoping to get contributions in a couple of categories. He's probably going to be stuck low in the batting order, but it's fine. It's a really good offense top to bottom, and that playing time, as I mentioned before, looks like it's really stable. It seems like there are a lot of shortstop-eligible players to think about 
pursuing this weekend, and a few of them are guys that move around a lot more. Grissom will end up picking up second base eligibility and at least have some flexibility to be moved between those two spots. But Aledmi's Diaz's situation might have just changed for the rest of the season because before we started recording, we learned that Michael Brantley will have his season-ending shoulder surgery, and Diaz was already playing a lot anyway, playing at least five times per week for the better part of the last like six weeks or so now. He's eligible all over the place, second base, shortstop, third base, and outfield in most leagues, and now it looks like there's a chance he's the primary left fielder for Houston. It's also a case, too, where he's not hitting as low in the batting order as you might expect. You can see him sometimes in the middle third of the Astros lineup. So uh, how much more interested are you in Diaz now that we have clarity regarding Michael Brantley's injury, and we know now that Brantley won't come back this year? Oh, definitely a lot, because I think that was really critical to Diaz getting the kind of playing time that he's had and uh, makes a big difference in terms of how much playing time he'll get going forward. And he's been around long enough that you know, we can know what to expect from him, a little bit of power. And in that context that you mentioned, being in, in the uh, the Astros lineup and often right in the thick of it, uh, opportunities for run production has never struck out at a very high rate, which doesn't necessarily mean he's going to hit for a high average, but it keeps the, the floor uh, higher than it would be otherwise. So it's a, it's a nice combination, not one that I would trust in the 12-team league, but 14 and 15 team leagues of Diaz is still out there. You take everything uh, that we talked about, including the uh, incredible uh, multi-position eligibility, and he's really a useful player to have rostered. Yeah, you look at CBS leagues right now, Ledby's Diaz only rostered in 27% of those leagues. I think he's 45% rostered in the Rotowire Online Championship. That's the 12-team NFBC league that has 200 leagues that make one big contest. So a pretty widely available player that could actually make an impact in some more shallow formats. I think it's more of an open question, though, with a player like Nick Gordon, who's been playing quite a bit for the Twins. Nick Gordon has started every game for the Twins going back to August 1st. So carving out what looks like a regular role or close to it by moving around, playing multiple spots. We've seen him play some center field. We've seen him play some left field. Occasionally gets a nod at shortstop, but mostly working as a rotating outfielder for the Twins. Is he doing enough in terms of power and speed with that playing time to justify being picked up in more leagues? He is, although I would just make a um, just just kind of pick a nit here and say that if if I were just going strictly on the the fantasy stats, I would say maybe he's not doing enough. But when you go a level deeper and you look at barrel rate and you look at at exit velocity, he absolutely is doing enough uh, because there's a lot of power there. It's just not shown up uh, in the the top level stat line. Uh, so I think that there could be a lot more home run power to come from Gordon. He's been well above average in terms of average exit velocity on flies and liners and that's a stat that tracks really well with home run to fly ball ratio so uh yeah i i think now is the time to get gordon uh now that he's really settled into a pretty regular role and before maybe you do see some improvement in those uh, extra base stats i at least like gordon as a possible bench candidate in a 12 team league just because you can move him in to the middle infield if you need a shortstop you can throw him there Having him as that extra player, that versatility is nice. There is power and speed. And as you said, the underlying numbers are good. The approach seems to be changing. He's hitting the ball in the air more often, but he's also hitting the ball hard enough for that to be a good thing. Sometimes that's an adjustment players make, but they don't make the hard contact to actually reap the benefits of that adjustment. So a lot of things are falling into place for Nick Gordon. Let's talk about Paul DeYoung for a moment in St. Louis. He's back up with the Cardinals after a lengthy stint at AAA, and he has been mashing since he got back. And, you know, aside from that, I think there's a chance that he can just be an everyday player again in a well above average St. Louis lineup. I don't worry about the playing time at all. So I think, to me, saying there's a chance, I think uh, I think there, there's a really good chance that he continues to play every day. And I also think that there's a pretty good chance that he continues to be a good power source, maybe not on the level of what he's done so far, just 45 plate appearances, four home runs and five doubles. But that's been coupled with a fly ball rate that's just barely below 60%, which is outrageous. <laughs> and uh, that's the sort of thing that doesn't come with a batting average in the 290s, which is also something that DeYoung has done since he's been called up. So expect a little bit of batting average regression towards his career mark, which I believe is 238. 
rate. Uh, but you know, yeah, something in that vicinity, 240 uh, or, or thereabouts. But uh, he's hit for power before. That's always been his main appeal in fantasy. And if he actually is hitting with a higher launch angle than we've seen in the past, that just makes that part of his appeal all the all the better. Yeah, so definitely worth a look if you're in a 15-team mixed league, possibly in some more shallow formats as well, just given how well he's played since that return. Got a question here about Nick Gordon from Benjamin on the live stream. Nick Gordon or Ryan Mountcastle? I'm probably sticking with Mountcastle in that situation or going with Mountcastle if they're just both available on the waiver wire. I think even though Gordon, as I mentioned, has played, started every game since the start of August, I think Mountcastle's playing time is a little bit more stable if we're projecting that over the long run. And even still, the underlying power metrics for Mountcastle are just a tick better as well. Yeah, also I trust the playing time more even after you and I both kind of made the case that, okay, Gordon seems to be settled in a, into a something close to an everyday role. There's just more certainty, both in the playing time and in terms of just the statistical profile for Mountcastle. So we'll make it two for two. I do want to mention J.D. Davis again. He uh, is probably not playing enough to be mixed league viable right now. Evan Longoria just came back off the IL as well. So Davis mostly playing against lefties, occasionally playing against righties. I think he's more of a watchlist sort of player just in case injuries create a larger role for him down the stretch. We talked about him a bit last week as a deep league consideration because he's always done a pretty good job of making hard contact and We'd want to see if the Giants can get his strikeout rate back to where it was three or so seasons ago, because if they get that version of J.D. Davis, I think they can justify pushing him into a larger role. But for now, I think he's a little more of an NL only or very, very deep mixed league sort of play as opposed to someone that's going to pop right away uh, in your typical mixed format. Yeah, one thing I would point out because that that playing time concern is a very important thing for him, even in if you're looking at him in a, in a 15 team league. But since he came over to the Giants, so that's I believe nine days ago, um, he is tied for third in the majors in barrels. He has five <laughs> over that nine day span, and having started only five games uh, in in that span. So, given the underlying power numbers that he's had all along. Um, if he just has, he's going to need to start against some righties, but he doesn't have to be an everyday player to be somebody who can make a deep league impact. And I think he's the kind of player, if you're in a keeper league and it's a pretty deep keeper league where you, you hold most of your roster, a very inexpensive JD Davis is a possible hold in some of those leagues at a dynasty leagues where you keep, you know, sometimes 30, 35 players. He could be viable there as well. Let's talk about Lars Nupar, another Cardinal who has been playing a lot. The only thing that we have to be aware of here is that Juan Yepes has started a rehab assignment. He's played in two minor league games already. Do you expect Nupar's role to fall from every day to like an 80% playing time share once Yepes comes back? Like how do you see these two guys coexisting on the roster given the other changes that have taken place in St. Louis? I think 80% might actually be the, the top end of my expectation because I would think that Yepes might not come back and, and be in an everyday sort of role, but I think he would take just enough time away from Newt Bar that maybe it would render both of them not uh, very mixed league friendly. So I, I think one way or another, uh, Newt Bar will have a, a role that's reduced enough that um, – He's going to maybe just be be somebody you'll, you'll be starting in mono leagues uh, once Yepes is back. I think Newt Bar's role is going to look a lot like Tyler Naquin's role with the Mets. When the Naquin trade happened, I actually dropped him in a pretty deep mixed league because I just thought the playing time was going to fall below an acceptable level. The per-game output since he went to the Mets has been fantastic. He's got, I think, three homers, a stolen base. He's driven in seven runs in just 10 games with the Mets so far. But I think you have to be in a league with daily moves or a very deep rostered league to even consider rostering Naquin right now, even though the situation is pretty good. I mean, the park is a, a downgrade in terms of, of home runs, but I think Naquin's kind of an underrated per game player. He's just in a situation that's a bit more challenging for us for the rest of the season. He has been for, for a few years uh, underrated in terms of per game production and I really thought that his value was just going to go close to zero going to the Mets, not only because of playing time, but because I figured that a lot of that per game production was a product of, of playing a great American ballpark. So pleasant surprise so far and uh, definitely 
uh, somebody that that should be picked back up if he was dropped in 14 and 15 team leagues. Sam Haggerty was popping for me in some deeper leagues. I picked him up in an AL-only league. I know there's a lot of moving parts right now in the Mariners outfield because Mitch Haniger and Julio Rodriguez are back. Jared Kelnick and Kyle Lewis have been sent down. Does Haggerty have enough paths to stick around on fantasy rosters beyond mono leagues? I, I don't think so. I would certainly be rooting for it given how productive that he's been you never know, uh, but my expectation is that his playing time will will fall off a lot uh, now that they've got uh, pretty much the fall ro- full roster there. Yeah, I know the way the, the slash line looks right now, 323, 369, 542 line makes you think, how could they possibly sit this guy? The plate skills don't quite back up that line, and he's also got a 409 Babbitt right now too. So you know, once things start to settle in a little bit, you can more easily justify Haggerty as a clear-cut sort of backup outfielder for the Mariners, but offering power and speed and was running a ton at AAA this season. In 39 games at AAA, Sam Haggerty was 15 for 16 as a base dealer. He's 5 for 6 in 45 games for the Mariners. So I do think there is still some deep league appeal, even as the playing time ticks down a little bit. But if you were trying to get those bags from him in a mixed league, the changes with those two guys coming back from the IL, probably enough to bump Haggerty off of rosters this weekend, which is really, it's again, it's a shame. I want to see what players like that can do. Problem is they are contending right now. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. A couple other names to look at here. Lennon Sosa is getting an increased opportunity right now for the White Sox because of Tim Anderson's injury. Really good numbers from him at AA. He got a, a brief promotion earlier this season. Al has been sent back to AAA and now was you know, brought up again with the Anderson injury. So I don't have high expectations for Sosa in the short term. I see a clear mono league and then deep keeper league stash only here. I don't really see much mixed league appeal in the near future. I agree, and some of that is just the uncertainty that comes with uh, making the the jump to the majors with very limited exposure, even at AAA. But also just, I don't trust the playing time, and I'm glad that he's gotten a few starts in a row uh, because Larry Garcia, I think, got the very first start after uh, Anderson went on the IL, and La Russa just really seems to like playing uh, Garcia. But um, maybe that's that maybe that is switching. I'd certainly like to see it. And uh, I think because of that, that trend that I think that puts Sosa on, on the watch list in 15 teamers, but at least for right now, I do remain a little bit skeptical that this is going to be an ongoing trend that, that Sosa will play every day. There's another good question from Benjamin Charles LeBlanc. The Marlins got a plan even with Brian Anderson coming back. Um, Right. I mean, it's to me, it seems like Brian Anderson has just, fallen to a level where they don't have to play him every day and it's kind of sad because I was starting to warm up to the idea that he was a good accumulator maybe an underrated player in Miami because of the way he was used at this point and he's coming off a shoulder injury too um, I at least think they can move pieces around and, and keep playing LeBlanc until he gives them a reason to be played less but you look at you know what he's done in the minors over the course of his career uh, spent Last season in the Rangers organization at AAA, LeBlanc hit 229, 313, 455, popped 17 homers and stole five bases. Nothing to write home about last year. It was this year where he really took that step forward. A 135 WRC plus as a 26-year-old at AAA with a pretty high strikeout rate, 27.2%. As fun as this is right now, I still see more of a mono-league sort of player than someone that you really want to have sticking around on a mixed-league roster. I, I think so too. And part of my 
lack of uh, activity trying to, to add LeBlanc is just because of that impending return of Anderson. And I just sort of assumed that LeBlanc would go to a, a bench role and not start that often. But Anderson could, could be put in the outfield. It could be a situation where maybe it eats a little time away from Peyton Burdick. Maybe Anderson's not an everyday player. And maybe LeBlanc doesn't play enough to have any mixed league appeal. But yeah, a really interesting story this year with a, just a, an out of nowhere breakout. And uh, it's, it, it's worth uh, worth watching. But now my expectation is is not that LeBlanc would uh, would continue to play regularly when Anderson returns. Gennardo wants to know, what do we think about Jake McCarthy in Arizona? We talked about him a little bit going into the deadline because it seemed so certain that David Peralta was going to get moved. And that, of course, happened. So McCarthy went from playing a lot to playing even a bit more. What do you think the threshold is for rostering Jake McCarthy right now? Al, we've seen him tick up to the leadoff spot once, and he's been playing almost regularly since July 12th. I think he's only sat twice since the 25th. Uh, but usually hitting sixth or seventh in that Arizona lineup. Yeah, and actually those couple of games were both kind of recent in the past week where McCarthy sat. So uh, Diamondbacks have moved uh, moved players around, and sometimes it's kind of hard to have confidence in the playing time for uh, anybody but their, their really uh, core players. But I think he'll continue to play enough to be uh, worth starting in 15-teamers. That's that's where I've gotten him. That's where I've uh, put bids on him. I haven't gone any shallower than that, and I don't really see any reason at this point uh, to go shallower. Yeah, I, I see a lot of similarities between McCarthy and Sam Haggerty, but I like McCarthy's playing time situation a lot more. I think there's a better chance McCarthy can actually help you, at least down to about a 15-team mixed league. Maybe in a 12 if you're desperate for speed, but it's probably a league where you're starting at least five outfielders because you got to go pretty deep down the position list for McCarthy to be doing enough to make an immediate contribution. Uh, one thing I really like about him, though, looking back at what he was doing at AAA, a 13.3% K rate with an 11.5% walk rate, even adjusting for the difference between AAA and the big leagues right now, I think that puts McCarthy in a pretty good place to at least hold his own as a hitter, get on base enough to use that speed and there is a little bit of a pop there as well. So he, he does enough things well, and the situation is good enough where I'm generally in in the right sorts of formats for uh, for Jake McCarthy. A few more bats that I think are, are pretty interesting. I was just looking for anybody who was playing a lot more over the, the past week or so. Uh, Victor Caratini playing a lot more in Milwaukee as a result of the Omar Narvaez injury. I don't know if you'd want to throw him out there in a single-catcher league, but if he was on the wire in a two-catcher league, there's a chance he's an upgrade over your second catcher option. Yes, and I just picked him up recently once um, Once Narvaez went on the IL. I picked him up in the uh, league that we talk about now and then, a uh, 24 team league, very, very deep. Um, so, But he was out there on waivers because, again, at that stage, he was not playing uh, as often. And he was my replacement for Christian Betancourt. So that's, you know, it's a deep league. It's a one catcher league, by the way. Uh, but you know, in a situation where you're cycling through a number two catcher or maybe your number one catcher in a very, very deep league, Caratini's a pretty nice and widely available option, uh, to, you know, maybe end your cycling through of catchers, uh, because with regular playing time, I actually think he's, he's pretty good. Because he was on the IL, I know he's available in, in some leagues. If Francisco Mejia's out there and Caratini's out there, who do you prefer to pick up? Hmm. I'd say probably Mejia. It's, it's close. It's pretty close. Yeah, I think the bids would be pretty comparable. Nothing overwhelming for really either one of those guys, but I think the batting average floor for Mejia is probably a bit higher. Power is likely favoring Caratini, but not much separating those two players right now. I did notice that Joey Meneses is playing a lot more for the Nationals right now. I, I, mostly just a cool story. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's homered three times in just six starts, moving between first base, left field, and right field. And a first-time big leaguer at age 30, I don't know if he's really going to stick for mixed leagues because they're not playing him every day. And unless that changes, I don't think the counting stats can be good enough because the Nats lineup is putrid right now. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, definitely uh, part of the uh, reason to maybe avoid uh, picking him up. But uh, it's also hard to judge, too, because he had a, a pretty nice season at AAA this year, 20 home runs. But... Um, obviously very, very old for, for any level, uh, except the majors. So um, it's hard to know how much weight to put on those. And you might be tempted to 
weighted a little more heavily than you should because of this little uh, power spurt that he's had in the last few days. I know we've talked about this player at least one time on a waiver wire Friday. El Hiris Montero, who was part of the big trade that sent Nolan Arnato to, to St. Louis. The Rockies are actually giving Montero a pretty regular opportunity right now. And I, I think this is really encouraging. He started every game since the, the back end of a doubleheader back on August 2nd. And they're moving him around a little bit. He's playing first base, third base, getting some run as the DH. So we might get first and third eligibility sooner rather than later. And third base has been a very difficult position to find productive players at throughout this season. So I mean, home park alone probably makes him interesting, but I think there's more than just the home park here for El Hiris Montero. Absolutely. And I, I, uh, I almost put him in the waiver column this week. And basically what made him the, the last cut out of that column is the, the strikeout to walk ratio. I just, I can't honestly say that I'm going to be trying really hard to add him uh, this weekend uh, because 32.9% uh, strikeout rate, a 1.4% walk rate uh, in 70 plate appearances so far. Um, I mean, much better ratios in the minors, uh, but no guarantee that he necessarily regresses towards towards those marks uh, as he continues to play more. But a lot of upside there and a lot of playing time. And I, I wouldn't blame anybody for, for picking him up in 15 teamers. I may do so, but but as a uh, as a contingency bid. So I'm guessing if you're cautious with Montero, you're probably even more cautious with Jose Barrero getting that opportunity in Cincinnati. Part of the concern has always been the plate skills, and right now, those seem to be about as bad as they've been in the upper levels. I wonder how much of this is just time lost due to injury, though, and if he can knock off the rust during the final seven, eight weeks of the season, you know, maybe we get some cheap power and speed here, even if it does come with a pretty low batting average. Yeah, and you'd mentioned that, I think, last week or on a previous episode, and I thought, and I, and I think again that it's, it's a really good point that maybe... Uh, we we shouldn't sleep on the the upside for Barrero here. So in terms of comparing him with Montero, yeah, obviously uh, very similarly ugly ratios, uh, including in the minor leagues for for uh, Barrero this year. But I think because of the past track record, that I am actually a little bit more interested in Barrero than I am in in Montero. It's close for me. I mean, I think if I'm stashing one for the future. I might be more inclined to stash Jose Barrero in a keeper league if I only had one spot. But if I wanted the immediate help, I could see myself having more immediate uses for Montero, especially when the Rockies have a series at home. And I don't know why I did this, but there are two other outfielders that have been promoted relatively recently who are getting opportunities. Peyton Burdick in Miami and Kerry Carpenter in Detroit. Is there any reason to think about those guys as possible mixed league pickups? Nah, not really. Uh, I mean, maybe a, a deep, deep mixed league like the one that I referenced a couple couple of minutes ago. But uh, we talked about Burdick on a, on a recent episode, and the, the minor league numbers aren't that impressive, but he has been a, a fairly highly ranked prospect. So if you want to put some stock in that, uh, again, as a contingent bid, maybe uh, he'd be somebody that you could you could uh, target if you had a hole to fill and it just you were having a lot of trouble finding somebody. I know this is about the most tepid uh, endorsement <laughs> that you could possibly give anybody, but uh, I, I'd probably be a little bit more interested in him than, than Kerry Carpenter. But yeah, they're both sort of last resorts for me outside of Monoleagues. I can't figure out with Carpenter. He's been really productive at double A AA and triple A this season. I mean, massive WRC plus numbers, 30 home runs combined between those two stops. Uh, very poor as a base dealer. He was two for nine in 34 games at AAA Toledo, so probably not going to get some any green lights anytime soon with the big club, but hit for a nice average at both of those spots. I uh, was walking a lot at AAA. His plate discipline, both his walk rate and his K rate, were a lot better at the higher level, so I don't know if that's just smaller sample size noise, if that's AAA pitching just not being particularly good, or what exactly explains that. I think if you're looking for cheap speed in a deep, deep league, Peyton Burdick makes more sense. If you're looking for the guy that maybe has a little more ceiling as a hitter, I think you could argue that Carpenter is probably that player. But I do see them more as mono-league considerations right now than, than guys you'd be thinking about picking up uh, in a mixed-league situation. Let's shift the focus over to some pitchers. We were anticipating the return of Lance McCullers to the Astros, and that moment is finally here. So... 
What's your interest level in McCullers coming off the injury, Al? I mean, is he one of the last pitchers that you can throw a sizable chunk of fab at and feel like you might actually get a good return? If he is available in a league that's got more than 12 teams, I would say yes. I still think I would go pretty low, maybe 1% to 2% of fab, which at this you know, time of the year is not, <laughs> it's not inconsequential. Uh, but I wouldn't go more than that. Like if I had, you know, if I had saved up and I had more than that to give, uh, I don't know that I would empty the bank on McCullers because I think because of uh, the walk issues that have been there for him at times, the inefficiency, I don't know that he's somebody that I would start often enough in a 12 teamer to justify going really big. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm on the other side of this one. I'm, heavily interested in in Lance McCullers like if you're in a league and you've got I don't know 30 to 40 percent of your original budget remaining I'd be comfortable using a lot of that maybe half of what you have left to get McCullers if you have a need for pitching because we're talking about a guy that for his career has a 357 ERA a 125 whip quite a few nice landing spots in the AL West as well he'll make his season debut I believe on Saturday against the A's and the reason he's widely available in NFBC leagues is because he's been on the IL all year and he wasn't drafted in most of those leagues given the unknown timetable for his return. So he's going to he's going to stand out from a skills perspective in those leagues and it's been so hard to find pitching in some of those formats. I think it's going to take an aggressive bid. Um, could be one of those players that helps you save your season if your ratios have been in trouble. Wins should hopefully be there. He's been pretty well stretched out, I believe, on that rehab assignment so far, too. So we're on opposite sides of this one. Al's playing a little safe. I'm kind of saying this might be your last chance to to get a guy that pitches when he's going well, like a top 30 starting pitcher. Those have been really tough to come by uh, so far this season. Uh, we were also waiting last week for J.P. Sears to get the nod in Oakland, and, well, that has happened. J.P. Sears is now up, and it looks like he's going to have a two-start week this week at Texas and then home against the Mariners. James Caprellian has the same schedule, by the way, so there's a chance they're both uh, sitting out there. Uh, how interested are you in Sears as someone that gets the pitch in a very pitcher-friendly home park for half the starts with this move to Oakland? Uh, not, I mean, not 12 teams, not, not looking to pick him up there. Uh, I I suppose you could make an argument to stream him this week with those matchups, but, uh, definitely 14, 15 teams. Uh, I I could see starting Sears many more weeks than benching him with, with what's left of the season. Wins are not something you're going to be able to count on strikeouts. Uh, maybe not that either, uh, other than in two start weeks, but I expect that he'll provide some good ratios and, definitely would have interest in getting that help from him in in some deeper leagues. I think Sears could be a relatively low-cost 12-team league streamer for this week for the two-start week. He could stick on some rosters in formats deeper than that. So uh, I do like the setup for him a lot. Great results in the minor leagues. And I just felt like he was never going to get that chance on a regular basis with the Yankees, just given the way that team was built. So I'm kind of excited to see what he can do during the final part of this season. It looks like Michael Waka is coming back. They are hoping to get him back on Sunday. The good news is you wouldn't have to use him for that matchup. I believe that's against the Yankees. And the one you'd be looking ahead to is a turn against the Orioles at the end of next week. I believe it's the Friday matchup in that series against Baltimore. The ratios have been great, but the K rate has been low. What is your interest level in Michael Waka where he was dropped during his time on the I.L.? Well, I don't totally trust the ratios that he's put up, so um, I'm not interested in him uh, in a 12-team league. Uh, And again, that's where your chances are going to be better to actually find him on waivers. So if he was dropped in uh, 15-teamers, I'm definitely all over him there, but uh, that, that would be the extent of it. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of where I'm trying to draw the line on Waka as well because it's it seems pretty risky. It seems like there's a lot of ways that things can break down on him pretty quickly uh, given that low strikeout rate that I mentioned. Um, another interesting name out there, I think he came up on last week's show, Aaron Savali. He's got a two-start week as well, a little more schedule-dependent, I think, at this point, and maybe more innings concern than I thought. I thought the way they were using him on his rehab assignment, he'd be good to go his first outing back for the Guardians. Uh, but the two steps are really good one. He's got the Tigers and the White Sox both at home. Sure, that White Sox team is not terrible, but they are without Tim Anderson. Uh, they, may, they may lack fire. 
based on the comments made by Johnny Cueto uh, earlier this week. But I think the first start is so good that you're willing to take on a little bit of risk that might come with that second turn. Uh, what's your interest level in Savali at this point? Not very high just because he, he just hasn't been anywhere near his best when he has pitched this season. I would rather go with a one-start Zach Plezak who doesn't get the White Sox. He only gets the Tigers. Uh, Plezak's not been all that consistent lately, uh, but at least the strikeouts have been more consistent for him. And with with the matchup, I think that he definitely uh, earns, earns a spot in the circle of trust. Uh, for this one week. So I would rather trust him with just the one good matchup than take my chances with Savali with two starts. So I'm seeing multiple reports, some breaking news here on the show today. D.L. Hall coming up for the Orioles is expected to start on Saturday. So that would likely keep him in the rotation for next week as well. I imagine they want to get a late season look and, and see what he brings to the table uh, with Hall. Tons of strikeouts this season. 18 starts, 70 innings so far at AAA Norfolk. 114 Ks. Walks have been a problem for him on occasion. 44 walks. So the ratios have not been good. If your ratios are already tanked, do you say, I think this stuff plays up and he's getting Ks right away, even if the ratios are not necessarily going to be good from the jump? I think in that specific situation, it's worth trying to add Hall. Um, But yeah, the, the walks are, are kind of scary. Uh, a lot of us aren't in that situation where we can just zero in on one or two categories. So uh, I'm probably going to pass uh, for the most part. But I, I think your advice is is spot on in terms of how to uh, how to approach Hall. Yeah, I think I've built a couple teams that are in that situation. So maybe that's why I have that extra bit of enthusiasm about this opportunity for DL Hall. I'm like, oh, great. Hey, strikeouts. That's that'll work. <laughs> Maybe if I get a win, I'll feel really good about it. If he gets lucky with the ratios, even better. But he doesn't have to to, to be useful in a, a situation like the one that I'm describing. Uh, Jose Quintana has a two-start week this week. I believe it's the Rockies, and he gets them at home. And then he goes on the road to face Arizona. You, you think about some of the other two-start pitchers that are out there. We talked about Sears already and Savali already. And I think there's a couple other guys like Chris Bubich has two, Ryan Yarbrough, Glenn Otto, Cole Reagans, Yusei Kuchi. Where are you at with Quintana compared to those guys? Is he top half of the list? Is he almost top of the list as a streaming option? Because I've had a hard time trusting Jose Quintana all season. And I'm just kind of waiting for this to be the one where I finally cave five months in. And then I'm found to be right the entire time because I catch the two horrible starts that I was waiting for all season. Well, that's just the way it works, DBR. I mean, you just throw everything on the the stats page out the window. And if either you or I take a chance on somebody for the first time in a two-start week, it's going to be a disaster. Uh, but right. Good to know. <laughs> that's just how it works. But no, I mean, seriously, I, I think he is uh, the top or one of the top two-start options this week that's likely to be on waivers. Now, he's probably not going to be out there in 14 teams and deeper. But I would trust him in a 12-teamer. I like him better than Sears. I like him better than pretty much everybody else in that list that you just rattled off, including Bubich, who I, who I kind of like this week too. Uh, but I think he is the, I was going to say he, the least flawed of those two-start options. But I feel like that's being a little unnecessarily harsh about Quintana because I, I get the distrust, but he's just he's just been pretty good this year. He's kind of gone back to just being the pitcher he was yeah. like pre-2020. The results were horrible that year. He had a 468, 139 whip for the for the ratios. But the, the underlying peripherals, right? He's gone back to a, a low home run rate, which he did back at his peak. The K rate is acceptable, even though it's not good. The control is fine. Like it just, just does everything well enough to make this work. I do think being in St. Louis, the win probability ticks up a little bit. So you might be right in that this is a great spot for him. Uh, maybe two easy paths to wins, given those matchups against those NL West clubs. Um, so I should probably be open-minded about Jose Quintana. And I'm going to say this serves as an official warning to anybody listening that, you know, I'm trying to get Jose Quintana. So if it falls apart, you can blame me. Send send tweets my way uh, if, if, in fact, it doesn't work out for Quintana in these matchups. But uh, of the other names I mentioned, out of Bubich, Yarbrough, Glenn Otto, Reagans, Kikuchi, is there anybody else that really pops out of that group that you are seeking out? Because a lot of them feel 
like the desperation volume plays that I was describing when we were talking about DL Hall, where it's like, yeah, I'm not that worried about ratios. I can't lose much ground in that category, in those two categories, but I can pick up something in Ks and wins by just chasing volume. Well, out of that group, I think that the the one pitcher that maybe has a better chance to to offer you something more than just volume is is Chris Bubich because he has been he has been better lately. He's brought the the chase rate up, which means uh, in turn he's brought the walk rate down, which then you know in turn has helped the ratios, has helped the ERA and WHIP. So uh, it, it's not that there's no disaster uh, chance that they're there at all with Bubich, but um, you know I, I certainly trust him more. Than, uh, than Glenn Otto or uh, Cole Riggins, who uh, did not have a good outing the last time out. Um, I, I'm still not trusting Yusei Kikuchi, and he's got the Yankees in Yankee Stadium. So uh, to me, Bubich is really the, the clear superior option out of the ones that you mentioned. Yeah, I think it's Bubich and Reagans out of that group. The, the two that I would put a little extra behind in the bids but we're still not talking about a lot these are near min bid players for me in the mixed leagues where they're available as we started chase a couple categories uh, you got kyle gibson on the rundown and i don't really trust kyle gibson anymore i started to for a little while and I, especially in cincinnati i know that lineup is really watered down right now but i think it's the park i just i don't trust pitchers that i think are very mediocre when they have to go into cincinnati even when the reds are in the midst of, of rebuilding. I didn't before the trade deadline. I mean, this would have been a definite no for me on Gibson with this matchup uh, before the trade deadline, but it is a watered down team. And I think especially if um, it turns out that uh, Jonathan India has to be, miss more than a game or two, uh, and there's a chance that he's, he's out for the week, then, you know, that's one of their better bats that that's also out of the lineup. So I would maybe watch that situation, but I just think, you know, the, the Reds were not a great home hitting team before they watered down the lineup. So I just really think they're, they're a very good matchup homer away right now. And Gibson just barely peeks out over the, the line where he makes the cut uh, with that matchup, but, but he does make it and he's been a little bit better over his last five starts or so, not allowing a lot of hard contact. So uh, I, I would trust him with the one start. Might be a couple of streaming opportunities, though, even behind Gibson. Rich Hill at Pittsburgh could be on the calendar. Keep an eye on what the Red Sox do with their rotation over this weekend, because that could be a rare spot to throw the seemingly always available Rich Hill onto your roster temporarily. And then Drew Smiley, under 10% rostered right now on CBS, is at Washington right now for his lone start next week. I just I have no respect for the Nationals lineup at this time. I would throw almost anybody against them. Well, Drew Smiley was really good in the corn uh, last night. So, uh, I, I, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that uh, this is a matchup where you could trust Smiley. And I think given a choice between Smiley and Gibson, I probably would give the edge to Smiley. Star Platinum sharing a note in the live stream chat. Otani may get a double start next week because he pitched on Tuesday and they moved him up to Monday. Angels might go with a five-man rotation to see if he can handle it. Uh, if you're in a weekly league where he's either a hitter for the whole week or a pitcher for the whole week and you've been on the fence about maybe using him as a pitcher, that, of course, would be a reason to just definitely move him over to the pitching side and backfill with whatever hitters you have uh, on your bench. Uh, Benjamin wants to know, empty the bank on Edward Cabrera in leagues where he's available. If I said no on McCullers, I probably should say no <laughs> on Cabrera. Uh, but I think, I, yeah, I think I, I'm pretty much in the same spot. Uh, I, I view them as close to a cool. I think I got to give the edge to McCullers there just because of the, what he's done over the years as opposed to what, what Cabrera's done in a few starts. But yeah, I, th I think uh, at least uh, like 2 to 3% bid. Right. If I were bidding... 70 to $100 on Lance McCullers, just as a, a rough estimate out of like a $1,000 remaining budget. Um, I don't have 1000 actually left, but the league where I started with 1000 I'd probably be looking 40 to 50 range for Cabrera just to make sure I get him as a great contingency fallback option. A lot of the same concerns, of course, with the arm health, but I think he's going to be one of those pitchers when he's out there, especially with the home park he pitches in. I think he's going to be pretty good for us for the most part so i am definitely interested feels like he's just not available in any of my leagues uh, at this point let's move on to some bullpen 
names the Rowan Wick situation. Looks like it's a pretty good one in Chicago. He appears to be the guy for the Cubs. couple of saves already this week. So is this time to go ahead and, and push him into the mix even in 12-team leagues? I know he came up last week as someone to speculate on. I would imagine the roster rates are going to go through the roof coming out of this weekend. Yeah, probably are. If he's still out there, then yeah, I think it, it's fair game in, in, in 12-teamers. I think it was a week ago uh, where I had a choice between him and Kyle Finnegan. I went with Finnegan. Uh, I would do it again if they were both there, but it's it's pretty close, and there probably aren't too many 12-team leagues where you, you couldn't find Rowan Wick pretty useful. I was also wondering if the Joe Barlow return, which is expected to happen early next week, if that changes anything for you, if you've been rostering Jonathan Hernandez recently, do you want to go get Barlow himself? I mean, what what's your plan in Texas, knowing that Barlow is going to be back soon? I think he's more of a last resort for saves, uh, because my expectation is that Hernandez would keep the spot. Honestly, I, I have more faith that Denny Jimenez in Oakland would be up for more save opportunities than Barlow because Jimenez was not removed from the role. He just went on the IL. So Barlow was actively removed. Uh, there's somebody in there uh, who profiles as a, a good closer in Hernandez, uh, whereas in Oakland, I actually think Jimenez is their best option. And I don't expect he's going to get uh, all the saves or even necessarily half of them. But uh, I think he's good enough to to get a larger share than I expect Barlow would. A few questions about closers in the chat. Nathan wondering uh, how to find a sub for Clay Holmes while he figures it out. Star Platinum throwing a few names out there. Uh, Alexis Diaz, John Schreiber, Mark Melanson, or maybe someone else that uh, Star's not thinking about already. I feel like the pickings are pretty slim right now on the wire if you're looking for saves. It's once again one of the more difficult categories to find and a lot of people are in leagues where Rowan Wick is already stashed away, so the the obvious pickup in this case isn't necessarily a helpful one. Are there any other bullpens that you've been thinking about speculating on recently, Al, hoping to find someone who emerges from a committee? I mean, you mentioned the Oakland situation is one, and I've been hesitant to put a lot of expectations on that group just because if two or three different pitchers are sharing saves there and they're the second or third worst team in the league, there's not much there to split up. It's like taking a personal pizza and cutting it to three pieces. That's terrible. Like, I don't, why even bother? <laughs> I like the analogy. It could be used in a lot of these uh, situations. I think actually, you know, pretty much all the situations uh, that are, they're being asked about here, that's, you know, kind of just not enough to, to really go around. So, yeah, I mean, out of these options, maybe Schreiber, uh, but these are all for me kind of last resort situations like Jimenez, like um, uh, Barlow for me would be even more so. Uh, so yeah, there's nobody that really stands out to me uh, that uh, we've talked about in the last week or two. That's, that's probably gone. I was surprised how inexpensively I was able to get Will Crow last week. So especially if you're looking for somebody to just kind of keep the seat warm um, while Holmes figures figures things out given that um, Crow might only have save opportunities for a few weeks. If he's out there, I would say he's definitely better than all the other relievers we mentioned so far. Yeah. And I think the other name that I guess is worth throwing out there is Ryan Tapera. I know he got a save earlier this week for the angels. That's one of those unsettled situations. I know they're, they're not good, but they're not as terrible as Oakland, even though the, ooh, the difference between those teams right now is smaller than it probably should be with all the, all the stars on the IL for the angels and, having that team trade some players away at the deadline. Um, Crow's a good call, though, for sure, because the Bednar injury, I'm going to see if I can pull up an update on David Bednar. Just says he's working through it, doing lumbar and spine exercises, hopes to start throwing in about a week. So it doesn't sound like he's returning like right around the corner, maybe even been out long enough where a, a brief rehab assignment is on the table. So I do think Will Crow has a little more of a, a window than we previously realized, just given the lack of a timetable the entire time. The Rays are still mixing and matching like crazy, so maybe one of their committee members is available in, in leagues. I wouldn't overlook that. I do think the Schreiber situation changed with Tanner Houck landing on the IL. So Schreiber went from someone that I was generally not messing with to someone that I would actually think about as a you know, very low dollar bid sort of option to be the equivalent of like a third closer. If you think of him like that, I think you might come away pretty happy. I agree. I think that's just the right spot for him. Um so, yeah, I think that's that's why it puts him a little above some of these uh, other relievers that were, were asked about. 
Do you think Alexis Diaz has a, a clearer path to being just a sole closer, though, than some of the other bad team committee guys? Because they've already removed Hunter Strickland from the equation. So there's there's one fewer person to contend with for those opportunities. And I don't know, like, it is, I don't know if Reaver San Martin is going to be a, a candidate for saves. So I'm not, I don't see a lot of threats for the job, even though it's the same problem we're talking about in Oakland. Yeah, they're not going to win a lot, at least if it's just one guy. The game or two that they win any given week, can we know where the save chance goes when that happens? Well, I, yeah, I think, and I, I almost addressed that when I was comparing the three and thinking, well, maybe that does kind of elevate him on the level of Schreiber, but I just, I don't really trust the profile. I just worry about the volume of walks um, and the volume of save opportunities, which you just alluded to. So in a sense, yeah, I think he does have the clearest path to not having to share saves with uh, anybody else in this group that we're talking about. But I, I worry about performance with Diaz. Yeah, I, I think there's still a good bit of risk. The stuff's good, but I just think there's a, a lot of inconsistency still for him at this stage of his career. Uh, thanks for the note here, Benjamin. Love the show and the content you guys make. Listen to my drive from Milwaukee to Madison every day. I, that's that's a serious drive every day. That's that's legit. That's a full hour <laughs> commute. I mean, even if you're on like the the east side of Madison and the, the west part of Milwaukee, that's uh it's a lot of driving. Glad we can make that easy and uh, say hello to those nice folks at the Johnson Creek Culvers for me because uh, I, I miss them. They don't know me by name, so don't mention me because they'll think it's weird. But uh, <laughs> it's one of the best Culvers going. They're always busy. Food's always good. Can't really go wrong with Culvers anyway. That is going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Most weeks, like I said, 4 o'clock Eastern for a live stream. We will not have a live stream next week, but we'll be back the following Friday. That would be August 26th. If you got questions for Al, you can find him on Twitter at AlMelkYourBB. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. Al's got a waiver column coming up. You should read that. Theathletic.com slash Fantasy Baseball Podcast gets you in the door for a subscription at a dollar a month for the first six months. Really a great deal. So be sure to get that if you don't already have a subscription to The Athletic. That's going to do it for this episode of The Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We are back with you on Tuesday. 